Hello, and welcome to Engage with Eagle Forum, a podcast to encourage the modern day woman and her vital role in shaping society. I'm one of your hosts, Tabitha Walter, the political director of Eagle Forum, and I'm joined today by our executive director, Kirsten Hassler. Hi, everyone. It's been over a year since the pandemic began, and we've seen how different industries have adapted to fewer physical encounters. One of those industries was the medical field, and it started using telehealth appointments more and more. Congress even appropriated money to expand that service. And while this has many benefits for those protecting their health, it also comes with a downside. This also allowed for easier access to drugs that cause abortions. In fact, the abortion industry has been pushing these drugs for a few decades now, and they use this as an opportunity to expand their reach. Yes. Today, we've asked the Heritage Foundation's Melanie Israel to join us, who recently released an extensive report on chemical abortions. Kirsten and I often read through these types of reports through a political lens where we ask ourselves, how can we craft policy on this issue? Or how can we get the message out that would strengthen the pro-life movement? But there is another element to this conversation today. We want to educate you on this topic so that you're better informed if someone close to you is considering abortion, or even if you find yourself making this decision. So let's learn a little bit more about Melanie. Melanie Israel is a research associate in the DeVos Center for Religion and Civil Society at the Heritage Foundation, where she focuses on issues related to life, conscious rights, and religious freedom. Her research and commentary addresses a range of issues that affect public policy and culture more broadly. In addition to her heritage publications, she has published many op-eds for a variety of media outlets and provides quotes and insight to publications, including the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, and Political. She also provides timely analysis to policymakers like members of Congress, Hill staff, and even federal administration officials. And prior to her time at the Heritage Foundation, she worked in Congress in the office of Senator Ted Cruz and on the Senate Judiciary Committee. She received a bachelor's degree in history from the University of Texas and resides in Maryland with her husband, two children, and retired racing greyhound Oliver. Thanks for coming on, Melanie. Thank you so much for having me here today. I appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. So let's jump right in. What exactly is a chemical abortion and how does it differ from the surgical procedure that we typically associate with abortions? Yes, it's a very, very important distinction. Um, So a chemical abortion, or as the abortion industry refers to it, medication abortion, um, is a two-part regimen. So a woman first takes a pill, mifepristone, the brand name Mifeprex. Many people may have also heard it referred to as RU486. So that is the actual abortion pill. A woman takes that pill, and it essentially cuts off nutrients to her unborn child, um, causing that child to die. Then there's a second part of the abortion pill regimen where a woman takes a different pill that's being used off-label. This other medicine was not designed to be used in the abortion pill process. But one of the effects of that medication, um, misoprostol, is to cause uterine cramps, um, which causes the woman to expel that pregnancy. And so when we're we're talking about chemical abortion, we're really talking about that two-part regimen. Whereas surgical abortion, those are done um, 
depending on how far along a woman is in her pregnancy, um, using uh, a suction instrument or clamps and forceps to rip the unborn child apart um, if it's later in the pregnancy. And so the, the exact surgical method kind of depends on how far along she is. For a chemical abortion, those drugs are meant to be used only through 70 days or 10 weeks gestation. And so these are meant to be um, first trimester abortions, um, though, of course, we are aware that sometimes people take those abortion pills far later in their pregnancies um, than is recommended. Mm -hmm. In your, your report, you wrote extensively on the complicated history of the drugs used to actually induce abortions. Can you talk a little bit about the problems and controversies that resulted from the production of these pills? Yes, yes. It was a long, windy road um, of, of development. So the actual chemical compound for the abortion pill was discovered by some researchers in France back in the early 80s. Um, and they actually were able to get an abortion pill on the market in France in 1988. And so in response, um, President Bush's administration actually issued an import alert so that people couldn't bring this abortion drug into the United States. And of course, the abortion industry in the United States was very interested in bringing an abortion pill to the U.S. market. But what they found was that pharmaceutical companies in the United States simply weren't interested in participating in the abortion drug market. Um, they didn't want to be subject to boycotts. Um, it, it was a, a hugely controversial issue. And so they were simply not interested. Um, the abortion industry, of course, lobbied very heavily um, for the, the French drug maker to, to do something to try to bring it to market in the United States. But for many years, they were not successful. And it was during President Bill Clinton's administration that they really kicked those efforts into overdrive. I think many people don't realize that one of the very first things that President Clinton did when he took office among those first days um, kind of actions was to instruct the Department of Health and Human Services to prioritize working behind the scenes to bring the abortion pill to the US market. And so they worked behind the scenes with the United States abortion industry, with these international actors to try to, to bring all of these parties together. And eventually they were successful um, an organization in the United States um, came together and started working to, to find a manufacturer to produce these drugs and started the process of getting FDA approval. That took many, many years. They had a very difficult time finding a manufacturer to produce the drug. Um, they actually had to ultimately use a manufacturing facility in China of all places. Um, which of course is known widely for their coercive and inhumane uh, family planning practices of forced abortions and sterilization. So that really adds just another um, level of insult really to this whole process. But ultimately the drug was approved for the US market in 2000. And in those approximately two decades since the chemical abortion pill has been on the US market, um, over three and a half women that we know of have taken these abortion pills. There have been thousands upon thousands of adverse events 
24 deaths reported. Um, and it's really um, left a horrible legacy. Um, the, the rate of chemical abortion in the last decade has increased 120%. It makes up roughly 40% of all abortions in the United States annually. And so um, when people think of abortion, I think everybody's mind goes to surgical abortion. But chemical abortion is really where this new frontier is happening. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's really sad. And, you know, I think we see this history, this controversial history, all through the abortion industry, um, even with birth control pills. And so, of course, we're going to see that path with these abortion inducing drugs. Um, And and I think that's important to note when when these drugs are prescribed to you, um, you should know that history and you should know the side effects and the problems that come along with that. And we're not always given that information. So that's that's really good to know. Now that these pills are widely distributed in the United States, how easy is it for someone who is seeking an abortion to be prescribed these pills? It's a great question. So one of the um, things that FDA did when this drug was approved back in 2000 is they approved it through a restricted process. Um, and so the abortion pill is subject to many more restrictions. Um, it's called a uh, risk evaluation mitigation strategy or REMS for short. Um, and of the many, many, many drugs that are available to be prescribed in the United States, a very small portion of them are subject to these heightened restrictions. And the abortion pill is one of those drugs. Um, the, the number fluctuates. I believe the latest number is that there's about 70 drugs right now on the market that are subject to those um, heightened restrictions. But for the abortion pill specifically, it has to be prescribed by a qualified prescriber. So you can't just go to any doctor and get a prescription from for an abortion pill. It has to be from somebody who has affirmatively um, sought that permission from the maker of the abortion pill. And so really that, that means you're, you're getting these abortion pills from a, a Planned Parenthood um, or an organization that specifically wants to be doing abortions. Um, because of course we know most family practice doctors, most OBGYNs, they don't want to do abortions. They don't want to participate in abortions. And so they're not actively seeking to be one of those qualified prescribers. Um, One of the other restrictions is that it can't be dispensed in just any retail pharmacy. You can't get a prescription and then go to Walgreens to pick it up. It has to be dispensed um, by that qualified prescriber in that clinic setting or hospital setting. that in-person dispensing requirement has been really key to make sure that women are having that face-to-face interaction with their doctors um, so that they can verify how far along she is in her pregnancy, um, evaluate if this drug is going to be safe for her because it's contraindicated for for different um, conditions. And then one of the other restrictions for this um, pill was that originally the FDA wanted the maker to compile data of adverse events and deaths. Um, And so that meant that any of these qualified prescribers needed to submit that data 
um, so that the FDA could have a good sense of how often women are experiencing those serious complications like hospitalization, hemorrhaging, sepsis, infections. Um, and unfortunately in 2016, the Obama administration weakened those FDA requirements. And so now only deaths are um, part of that mandatory reporting. And so while people do report on those other serious adverse events, it's not mandatory. And so unfortunately we do not have um, the, the full data, the full scope of how often there are these complications. But what we know from the data that we do receive is that that complication rate is um, roughly 20%, um, about four times higher than the complication rate for surgical abortion. Well, and I think it's really important to remember too that a woman, when she gets these pills, she takes them at home, right? Right, right. Um, and unfortunately, the abortion industry really downplays what happens when you take an abortion pill at home. Um, they tell women, you're, you're just going to experience some bleeding and some cramping for a couple days. Um, it's a, a very private way to deal with this and it'll be, you know, over soon and you don't have to deal with going to, to the hospital for, for a surgical procedure. And um, for some women, that's appealing. Um, what the abortion industry doesn't talk about is just how serious that bleeding and that cramping can be and really not preparing women for what they're going to face when that chemical abortion is completed. Because of course, we are ultimately talking about um, that medication first cutting off nutrients to her developing child and then taking a different pill to cause those contractions to expel that child. Um, she's at home alone, um, you know, sometimes completely alone without even a, a partner or family member nearby. And um, so many women have come back later and talked about what a traumatizing experience that was for them of how how, how traumatic um, that was, how, how resentful they were, that they were not fully prepared for exactly what they were going to be facing. Yeah, I actually had a miscarriage where I was prescribed that second dose of that medication. And I totally was unprepared too with how intense the contractions were going to be. And so, and I'm I have so a great- sorry to hear that you experienced that. And this yeah. is, it, it, it goes to show you, I've experienced that too with a miscarriage of taking that pill um, to, to complete a miscarriage at home. And of course, in that circumstance, you're prepared mm -hmm. um, for, for what's going to happen. And you can, um, in many ways, anticipate it. But at the same time, there's a lot that you don't anticipate either, even when you've been told you know, to expect a lot of bleeding, to expect painful cramping, um, or even told to watch like, here's the warning signs for when yeah. you need to seek additional medical help, um, which I did need to seek. Um, and so it, it's something that women who have experienced miscarriage can talk about. And for women who are experiencing a chemical abortion, just that, that added layer of tragedy to that situation, um, it's, it's really heartbreaking that the abortion industry is so determined to put more women in that position because of course they're currently advocating for the FDA to remove all of these different restrictions on the abortion pill. 
Yeah. Yeah. But since, since the miscarriage situation has been mentioned, it is important to note that these drugs are used for other conditions as well, even labor and delivery. So if, if you are prescribed these for another reason, of course, ask questions so that you're better informed, but also it may not necessarily be for abortion solely. And so, you know, if you're in that situation and you're prescribed that and you, after you've listened to this podcast, it might be a little, you might get a little whiplash when you see those words come up on your prescription, but um, just know that um, it's not solely for abortion, but it's for other conditions as well. We, we talked about some of the symptoms that a woman can go through on this pill. Um, what are other symptoms that um, they can ex expect if they take it for an abortion? Yes, so um, there are certain side effects that are um, really expected um, for any woman who is taking the abortion pill. And so that can be the, the, the cramping, bleeding, um, things like nausea, um, pain in the abdomen. But then the more serious side effects are those things like hemorrhaging and infection. If a woman has an ectopic pregnancy um, that hasn't been properly evaluated, um, the, the symptoms of chemical abortion are very much the same as the symptoms for a ruptured ectopic pregnancy, which is an incredibly time sensitive um, situation and it can be fatal if it's not addressed um, right away. And so um, that, that's one of the reasons it's so important that women receive some sort of in-person evaluation to establish how far along they are in their pregnancy. Um, we know that with abortion pills, the farther along she is in her pregnancy, the more likely she is to experience complications. Um, and also just to, to ensure that the, the pregnancy is actually located where it's supposed to be and, and not outside the womb. Um, because again, an ectopic pregnancy um, is, is not viable in any circumstances and it, it will rupture at some point. And that is a, a fatal complication if it's not addressed just as soon as possible. And so those are um, the, between ruptured ectopic pregnancies and things like sepsis, those are um, complications that have killed women after mm -hmm. this abortion pill regimen. And that's why it's really important that, you know, the, the more I should say the increase in popularity of just doing this, prescribing this pill through telemedicine is not good for women. They need to be seen exactly. beforehand. Exactly. You know, telemedicine has been a wonderful thing mm -hmm. in many contexts, but as far as abortion is concerned, it is not safe for women. It is actively putting them in danger. Mm -hmm. um, and that's one of the things that the abortion industry wants to do. They want to have telemedicine abortion be standard. They want to be able to have abortion pills mailed directly um, through the mail to women. Um, and again, the, the more you take away those opportunities for that in-person evaluation, the more opportunity there is to miss um, possible complications, um, to, to miss contraindications, and frankly, to allow these abortion pills to get into the hands of an unsupportive partner, a coercive partner, 
um, a, a human trafficker. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. Now, let's get into the policy side of this. We've seen legislation crafted around chemical abortions on every level. What has been done to regulate regulate this, or even in some instances, deregulate it? Um, so right now, I believe the current number is 19 states. Um, they do have laws in place that, in effect, prohibit telemedicine abortion. Um, now the abortion industry does try to, to get around those laws, um, doing things like mailing pills to, to neighboring states. Um, there are still illegal online pharmacies that sell pills and, and ship them to women from um, overseas places like India and China. Um, so that is a, a very dangerous factor going on. But generally speaking at the state level, what policymakers are realizing is that the, the Biden administration, of course, is lockstep with the abortion lobby. They are letting the abortion lobby call the shots. And we know the abortion lobby wants those restrictions on the abortion pill to go away. The things like that qualified prescriber provision, in-person dispensing, um, all of those different restrictions on the abortion pill. And so their vision is for maybe, you know, anyone uh, in the healthcare industry to be able to prescribe those pills to women. But beyond that, some of them just want it to be available over the counter, um, walking through your local Walgreens and seeing an abortion pill on the shelf or anyone being able to just order them online and have them shipped to their door. And of course, that's a, a horrifying prospect because again, we're ultimately talking about ending the life of an innocent unborn child. Mm -hmm. And so many state laws right now that are in place to regulate chemical abortion and these abortion pills refer back or rely on those FDA restrictions. And so of course, if those restrictions can be wiped away with the stroke of a pen, some states could find themselves in trouble if and when that happens. And so we're already seeing legislation moving in the states right now, places like Montana, Texas, Oklahoma, other places for them to make sure that their individual state laws are going to um, adequately protect women in this kind of anticipated event that the Biden administration removes those restrictions. Mm. So obviously there's still a lot more that we need to deal, not only pertaining to the drug themselves, but also to the way that it's distributed. So what are some of your, some of your suggested solutions or where do you see laws coming in to help really tighten this up a little bit? You know, one of the things that is so important, particularly now that states are finding that the burden of protecting women from these dangerous drugs is going to fall on them, mm -hmm. assuming the Biden FDA falls in line with the abortion industry. Um, and so one of the things that states can do is really make sure that their informed consent provisions are strong, that women are being told the full scope um, of all of the dangers of these abortion pills, making sure that um, they're restricting, you know, who, who can prescribe these pills, making sure that they're not allowing telemedicine abortion or abortion pills by mail, but also making sure that we are adequately tracking the rates of complication for these abortion pills. Um, if you're not adequately tracking 
these complications, then of course it's easy for the abortion industry to turn around and say, oh, look, these, these pills are safe. Nothing to see here, there's nothing going on. When of course, if you're not tracking that data in the first place, it, it, it's a self-fulfilling cycle. And so states can um, you know, absolutely take action like that to be sure that women are, are fully informed and understand the risks here. But beyond that, they can also make sure that women understand that there is a window of opportunity if they change their minds. Um, and that's where the abortion pill reversal process comes up. Um, again, that first part of the abortion pill regimen is what cuts off the nutrients to that developing child. And there's a, a small window of opportunity after a woman has taken that first pill but not the second, um, for her to, to get in touch with one of the many doctors affiliated with the Abortion Pill Rescue Network, and they can get her a prescription for progesterone, which is going to counteract the effects of the abortion pill. And um, to date, just in the last 10 years, there have been thousands of women who have pursued abortion pill reversal. And um, there are, you know, so many children who are with us today because they had that option when they changed their mind. And so making sure that women um, are aware that that is something that might be available to them as well is hugely important because, um, you know, again, we, we hear from so many women after the fact about how they were coerced or pressured into having an abortion and um, very much come to regret it later. And so that abortion pill reversal process um, can really offer that lifeline of hope. That's fantastic that that's available. And, um, you know, I think the biggest key here is education. We, um, we can rally around our lawmakers to make laws all day long um, about this, but really, you know, women should be educated on these issues and stand up for their own health and know the facts. And sometimes that means we have to do it ourselves without the help of people who are really pushing a certain agenda. And so, um, so if you're a woman listening, we just really encourage you to dig deep into this issue. Um, you know, last we went to take a moment to speak to the women who have gone through the abortion process already, or who are considering it. And I can't imagine how hard that decision is, honestly. Melanie, what would you tell the women who have taken those drugs before or are considering it? Um, you know, there are thousands upon thousands of pregnancy resource centers um, all throughout the country, in your local community, and that is what they are there for. They are there to help and assist in any way that they can. And if they don't have the, the answer or the resource, they can point you to somebody who does. Um, whether it's women who are in need of housing or diapers or formula, if they are, are unsure of what they want to do and, and just need to see an ultrasound or get a pregnancy test, um, different organizations working to help connect women um, with other, other resources like help navigating assistance programs like Medicaid, um, food stamps, all of those different tools um, that might be available to women that they're not 
aware of, um, that, that they might not know how to navigate. Um, these organizations exist to be able to help people. And even for um, anyone who is struggling with a, you know, post-abortion um, decisions, there are so many ministries and counselors and organizations that exist to help women and men um, navigating those complicated feelings um, of, of grief, of loss, of whatever those feelings are. And so um, to, to anyone, no matter where they are um, on this spectrum, whether it's experiencing an unplanned pregnancy or um, dealing with complicated feelings from an abortion, whether it was last week, last year, 10 years ago, there are so many organizations locally that exist to help you. And if you are listening and are struggling with a decision you made or are trying to make, like I, like Melanie said, please consider reaching out to all these wonderful different local pregnancy centers for resources. Focus on the Family also has a comprehensive list all in one place where you can find in-person services in your community that will help you and your baby or even aid in the healing process. They also feature stories from people who have been in your shoes. And you can check that out at focusonthefamily.com backslash get dash help. We will link those resources in the show notes and on our social media as well. Yeah, it's helpful to have one place that has that list everything. <laughs> and um, so you'll see a lot of those resources on that website. Well, thank you so much, Melanie, for joining us today. This is this is such a heavy conversation to have, but it's a necessary conversation to have. If you are listening to our podcast, be sure to subscribe, share with your friends, and leave us a review. You can find us on all of the major social media outlets and at engagewitheagleform.com. From your house to the state house to the White House, this is Engage with Eagle Forum.